This isn't a hockey show today. In fact, while everything I do in my professional life is for those listening or watching, this show's for me, and also for those of you who have suffered a terrible loss. This is a show I needed to do to try and heal, to try and make sense of what makes no sense. And I hope that the honesty here helps others in their own healing process. This is me telling you and the rest of the world that pays attention, saying I haven't been the same since February 25th of this year when my brother Scott, a pilot of a medical transport plane, died tragically when his aircraft went down south of Reno, Nevada. He was just 46 years old. I've had some dark days since then with what has felt like depression. I have been dealing with what at times has been crippling anxiety. During the last few weeks of the regular season, I had trouble even getting out of bed and facing the day. Back in early March, I went to my brother's funeral and celebrated the birth of my new daughter just five days apart. And then I turned 50 three weeks after that. That's a lot to take in in a short amount of time. Being a dad again has been an incredible blessing. It has also been balanced with realizing that life is uncertain, fleeting, and at any moment, it could change forever. On the morning of February 25th, I got up a little after 7 o'clock. I love day games. I love everything about them. There's no morning skate. You just go right to the rink. You put on a show and enjoy the rest of the day. I've had a lot of weekend days like that in my career. Get up early, look over my game notes for that game, grab a coffee. Games during the day, they're my favorite kind. The team wasn't going very well at the time, as many of you surely remember, and the fellows were coming off a home loss to lowly Anaheim just two days before. The night before the day game with the Rangers, before we went to bed, I was talking with Jen about summer plans, because the playoff picture seemed to be dimming. Maybe, I said, we could try and take our daughter-to-be to see my family a little sooner than we thought. We talked about going to see Scott and Lisa and their three daughters in Michigan. Perhaps, I said, we'd go to Michigan to see them, or maybe we could try and meet our other brother Mike and his family in Columbus. Yeah, maybe that would be better because travel for my mom and dad, also in Ohio, has grown difficult. Yes, perhaps everyone meeting in Columbus would be better, we thought. We should check into what would work for everyone, I said. It was Friday night, February 24th, 2023, pretty late in the evening in the East and time for bed with an early game the next day, and I could not have possibly known that just minutes after that conversation, my brother Scott would be gone forever. My phone rang at 7.56 a.m. on the morning of February 25th. It was my mother calling. It seemed early for a call, but not out of the ordinary. When I answered, I instantly knew that something terrible had happened just from the tone of her voice. The next words I heard will haunt me forever. She said that she had some terrible news, her voice trembling in a way I had never heard before. It's funny how quickly your brain can jump to conclusions sometimes. And I actually had time to think, she's calling about dad. She's going to tell me dad is dead. My father's had some health issues the last few years. I thought that was why she was calling. The next thing I'm going to hear is my mother telling me that my father died. That is, of course, not what she said. She said my brother's plane crashed after takeoff in Nevada and he was killed. 
expecting one thing and then getting news that was so much more shocking was an emotional boomerang that I still can't get out of my head, still can't process at times, even months later. I still hear the tone in her voice when it's quiet or when I'm in the car driving somewhere and it still haunts me. It's the worst emotional pain I have ever experienced. The flight left Reno, Nevada, bound for Salt Lake City with five people on board, two medical personnel, a patient, the patient's wife, and Scott, who was the pilot. There was an issue of some kind, not known to us at this point, 14 minutes into the flight, and his medical services plane plummeted more than 14,000 feet to the desert floor, east of Lake Tahoe, south of Reno. Even as I say the words now, it feels like it happened to somebody else. All were killed instantly. The NTSB investigation is ongoing. It will be perhaps two years before a final determination is made on the cause. We all watch the news, either on TV or on our phones, and for days after my brother's plane crash was national news. It wasn't the lead story in the country, but it was on your TV news network of choice. It was covered by The Post and broadcast on WTOP locally with my name attached. I still don't know if I felt better because it was so public and everyone knew what I was going through or if it made everything worse. I still don't really know. I left Washington after the Rangers game to go to my parents' house in Columbus to try the best I could to console them. When I got to the airport in Columbus, everything felt like it was in slow motion. Like a nightmare come to life, really. Just over a month earlier, I was in the exact same airport with the team. We had flown there from Toronto, and although we rarely step foot in passenger terminals on charter flights, we actually did in Columbus that time because we had to clear customs coming from Canada. We met our bus essentially at the front door of the airport, which meant all of our players walked out through the public part of the terminal. I distinctly remembered Alex Ovechkin walking by dozens of people on the way out the door and so many unaware of who had just passed them. I smiled that day because of that. And now, a month later, I was in the exact same place, the exact same terminal at the same smallish airport in Columbus, not with the traveling party of the team I work for, but by myself. And I saw the news report on the monitor in the terminal about my brother's crash as I took it all in. Surely this can't be real, I thought. It has to be a bad dream. It can't be happening. But it was happening, of course, and that is when the reality of what happened really started to hit me. You don't know the support system you have until something like this happens, and I can't begin to tell you all of the people who reached out, but there are a few I need to mention here, if for no other reason for you to know that the hockey team you root for is made up of a lot of good people. First off, our head of PR, Sergei Kucharov, and our director of team services, Rob Tillotson, they immediately took all my responsibilities and made sure the show went on without me for a couple of weeks. My radio guys, Ken, Ben, Tim Parker, Mike Callow, they were there for me in my darkest moments, Dick Patrick, and so many others. I hadn't known about the crash for an hour, and I heard from Peter Laviolette. I heard from current players, former players, broadcasters from around the league, and, well, you, the fans who listen to the games, who listen to this show. I will never forget 
how you reached out via social media and supported my sister-in-law, Lisa, and her three children. The GoFundMe that was started to help them raised over $180,000, and a whole lot of that came from you. And I can't thank you enough for finding it in your heart to help them. I mentioned back here on the show when I returned in March that I wanted to tell you more about Scott when I had the time. He was what you'd call the opposite of a wallflower, always in the center of whatever room he was in. From the very start, when we were little kids, he would say or do just about anything. Before we had kids or wives, before college, even before my little brother Michael was born, it was just me and Scott on a quiet street in the Minneapolis suburbs, playing in the snow, watching hockey, riding bikes, and growing up little by little. About that do-anything part. When he was five, he found a live snake in our yard, picked it up, carried it to our front door, rang the doorbell, and presented it to my mother. One time, when I was in the basement, he yelled down the laundry chute for me to come underneath it, where he promptly spit on me. He thought it was hilarious. I did not. We shared a bedroom when our little brother was born, where he almost burned down the house by tipping over a lamp on the shag carpet and then just left the room. My dad caught it in time, but there was a good chunk of carpet that melted and disappeared. Scott loved winning at everything, board games, video games, hockey games, you name it, and he hated losing. It was not uncommon for him to overturn a board game if he wasn't going to win, and he had no problem hitting the reset button on a video game if winning was not inevitable. We did a lot of growing up in Minnesota, more in Ohio when my dad changed jobs. Went to college together at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Scott always had this larger-than-life quality to him, and that was also true for people in his orbit. They seemed to gravitate toward him. His college roommate freshman year was a guy named Carl. Nice guy, liked him right away. One weekend, his little brother John came to visit. John was a really good guitar player. I mean really good. Because you actually know John, if I tell you his last name. John Mayer. Carl Mayer was his older brother. I don't think John Mayer or Carl would remember me today, but I wouldn't have met either one of them if it wasn't for Scott. Things like that just seemed to happen all the time with him. When we were in our 20s, we were probably as close as we've ever been. We both lived in Cincinnati when I was working for the Reds, and we hung out a lot. We were even roommates for a time. But jobs change. Cities change. Especially if you're me. I left for Hershey to work for the Bears, and we didn't see each other as much. He'd come visit there, also here in Washington, and I would see him in Chicago, where he lived when the Caps would play the Hawks at United Center. We'd been trying recently to get our schedules to sync up so we could meet up, see each other. Work and family obligations always made that difficult. I always thought we'd figure it out, thought there'd always be a time. He worked out west with his medical transport service, so we talked about coming to Vegas or Denver or maybe Phoenix for a game when the Caps were there. In fact, I just missed him by hours in January in Vegas. We were at the same air terminal just hours apart, where our charter flight parks is where he left from. Next time, I said, without a second thought about it. Just over a month later, I found out, in the worst way possible, you don't know when, there won't be a next time. Speaking of John Mayer, he had a song popularized by the movie The Bucket List, which, not surprisingly, my brother actually attended the premiere of in Los Angeles and got a picture with Jack Nicholson while he was there. 
And the refrain is pretty simple. Say what you need to say. That has never been more true for me than now. We all have people we drift away from for no reason, really. Family, friends, spouses, college buddies, it happens. Everybody's busy. Everybody's trying to climb the ladder. Nobody at the end of this life is going to wish they spent more time in the office. And what I have learned over these last six months is how you make your mark in life. It's defined by the people you share it with. The lesson for me, and I think it's a lesson for all of us, is make every day and every moment matter. Don't put off making that phone call to a friend. Check in with those you love the most and make sure they're doing okay. If someone's important to you, reach out and let them know that you're thinking of them. A lot of you, no doubt, have had tragedy hit close to home, too. I am not alone in this. And I hope that my talking about my loss helps you in some way. We're still here. The show goes on. We carry a pain that it's never going to go away. But as long as we speak their names and remember what we loved about them, then truly, they're never gone. If you see me at a game or anywhere and you want to talk to me about it, stop and tell me. You're not alone in how you feel. I've been there in the dark, too. And talking about it, I know now, really does help. Before I go, I want to tell you about a new project I'm working on to honor Scott and who he was. He was a first responder, and through my dear friend Elizabeth Pace and MSE Foundation, I've been able to get to know some D.C. fire and EMS firefighters and first responders. I visited one of their firehouses recently, and before we get started with training camp, I want to share what I saw and heard on my visit there. I'll tell you this now. They are true heroes amongst us. And much like Garnet Hathaway when he was here, I'm looking forward to finding ways to support their efforts in our city. More on that coming soon. But for now, I appreciate you listening to my story. I'm doing better. I still have dark days, but they're not as frequent. I have an incredible wife and little girl at home that brighten every day. I have friends, family, and colleagues that mean the world to me. And they got me through the worst days. I am grateful to all of them. It's not a story I ever thought I'd need to tell. But I am grateful also for each of you who tune in here during the season. I am looking forward to getting going again while I continue to carry Scott's memory with me. Until then, I hope that you will say what you need to say. And I will do the same.